0: Welcome to lesson 10. We have our Redeemer's glorious provision from Exodus 15:22 through 16:36. So, open up your Bibles and I'm going to read some of the passages and some of them, I know that you've just been in your groups and you have already read them, and so some of them I'm just going to summarize. As we reviewed last week, Um, The book of Exodus began a few hundred years after Genesis left off and the people cried out to God as they were enslaved and they were afflicted in Egypt. And they saw Yahweh the Lord showing himself to them as their redeemer, mighty to save. And before I begin, I'd like to pray, and then we're going to dive into chapter 15. So, Lord, I thank you that you are our great Jehovah. You are Yahweh, the Lord, that you lead us, you guide us, you are our deliverer, you are our provider. Would you just feed us this morning, Lord? I pray for your sake and for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so at this point in chapter 15, the people have been pushed out of Egypt with bountiful plunder, and they have miraculously crossed the Red Sea, and they've sung their joyful praises to God uh, at the Red Sea. And do you remember in chapter 15, just a few verses ago, they sang, the Lord will reign forever and ever, right? Okay, he's the king on the throne, right? He's strong, he's mighty to save. But in today's passage we see that there's a lot of challenges that face them and we're going to see how the Lord their redeemer will reveal himself to them as their glorious provider. As Exodus 16:7 says, "You shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord." So at the Red Sea, do you remember what Moses told them when they were surrounded by Pharaoh's army and the sea? He said, "Fear not," right? He said, "Stand firm," and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So will they trust him? Will they be silent or will they grumble, right? Will they have eyes to see his glory? Well, he's calling them not just to trust his promises to deliver, he's asking them to trust him. He is the promiser, and he is who is to be trusted. So scene one, we see grumbling and the gracious provision of water. In verses 22 through 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. When they came to Marah, now Mara means bitter. You learned that in your lesson. So really this could read, when they came to bitter, they could not drink the water of bitter because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Bitter. Okay, That's really what the text is saying. So this this scene takes place just how long after they've crossed the Red Sea? Three days, right? Three days after that glorious deliverance. And so they're now in the wilderness and they find themselves, themselves with problem number one. The water is bitter, thus the name. It's undrinkable. It's putrid, smelly, stinky, standing water. And we've seen this term before in Exodus. All the way back in chapter 1, we saw this word, where the people had been working as slaves, and their lives were made bitter. Remember, that word was used there. They worked in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. They worked ruthlessly as slaves. We also saw this term in chapter 12. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs that was to remind them of their affliction and how God had redeemed them. So here they are, they're a, a brand new nation, newborns, right? What is their response? Well, like newborns usually do they they cry, okay? Will they trust God? Think about what they know about the Lord from from what we've learned in the first part of Exodus. Had they not had God not answered their cries when they were back in Egypt? God answered their cries. Had they not seen his power in the plagues? They did. Had they not seen the Nile turn to blood and then turn back to water again? Had they not seen his immense power over the wind and the sea as they crossed and they walked through two walls of water? Had Yahweh not led them to this place? He did, how was he leading them? The pillar of fire and the cloud, right? Couldn't he save him by a lot of different means? If they cried out and asked him to, he could send rain. As we're gonna learn next week, they got water from a different place, from a rock. But would they ask for help? No, instead they grumble. They cry out to Moses. So these people had just been rescued out of generations of hard labor as slaves in Egypt, and they had never experienced living in a wilderness. It's not like they had camping trips on the weekend to practice their survival skills. So this was a new thing for them. And they quickly forgot how God's mighty arm had saved them. So they were ungrateful. They were being unself- or, uh, selfish and they were being immature. They didn't have faith that the Lord would take care of them. So they complain. I think if they lived in our age, they would have taken to Twitter Or they would have posted on Facebook how unhappy they were with the situation. And they would ask for lots of likes, maybe. But Moses, he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him what? He showed him a log to throw in the water. And the water became sweet. So here we have Yahweh's miraculous provision of sweet water for them to drink. So this was wilderness test number one, you might say. And you might have had a time in your life when everything seemed bitter. Maybe you're still waiting for the Lord to make that bitter water sweet in your life. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting his promises and his goodness, knowing that his grace is able to sustain you. So when you experience trials or testing, what happens is our response shows what is in our heart. All right? Complaining And grumbling is evidence of unbelief or distrust of the Lord. But obedience is evidence of faith and trust in the Lord. So sometimes a problem isn't the bitter water in our lives, but our bitter hearts. John Calvin said, God might have given them sweet water to drink at first, but he wished by the bitter to make prominent the bitterness which lurked in their hearts. But we see in this section, God has grace even on whiners. We had a situation that began in our life about 12 years ago, and that was when our house took over five years to sell. And it was a roller coaster of bitter, sweet, bitter, sweet, bitter, sweet. And we prayed, Lord, help us to trust you, even though we don't understand why this is happening. And I'm afraid I did plenty of grumbling along the way. But the Lord was teaching us to trust him to trust in what he was doing in our lives and in the lives of others who were around us at the time who were watching us. I can tell you more about that another time. Let's continue in verses 25 through 26. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So we see throughout Exodus, God is testing his people. His pillar was leading them in strange directions without telling them the reasons why, startling them with enemy attacks, having them walk through deep ocean waters on dry ground, and then bringing them to camp at places that lacked what they needed to survive. So what do you think God was trying to teach them He was trying to teach them that in the midst of confusion, and fear, and even desperation, they were to trust him. Even under life and death circumstances, when the pressure was just excruciating, they were to have faith in their redeemer. So the people of Israel already knew Yahweh as the great I am. They had seen him as the God who sees, who hears, who rescues, who provides, And now the Lord is graciously revealing another name, that he is, I am the Lord, your healer, Yahweh, Rapha. Rapha means to heal, to restore, to cure, not only physically, but spiritually. He had healed the bitter waters, and now he's asking them to trust him for all kinds of healing in their lives. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. So they had witnessed all the plagues that the Lord had sent on Egypt, and now in His grace, He's telling them what they must do. They must listen, they must give ear, they must hear God's voice and His commands, but then also to do the things that He was commanding them to do. The same is true for us. In James 1, we're exhorted that in the midst of trials and tribulations that were to count as joy, right? Okay, that's the context. The very next section of James tells us to be quick to listen and to obey. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. For us, as for Israel, obedience to God's command is not the requirement for salvation. I mean, here, you know, this has to be really clear. We don't work, we don't obey God's commands in order to be saved. God has already done that. For the people of Israel, he rescued them out of Egypt, he brought them through the Red Sea, he delivered them, he saved them, and now they are walking this journey of faith. Our saving faith always results in fruit though, that is joyfully obeying God's commands and living for his glory. Like the old hymn puts it, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. So now in verse 27, They came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. What a respite, a place of just sweet abundance, great blessing. The springs were fresh, living water, not stagnant, yucky, bitter water. God provided gloriously. Warren Wearsby wrote, let's be grateful that the Lord gives us enough blessings to encourage us and enough burdens to humble us. Enough blessings to encourage us and enough burdens to humble us. Do the numbers 12 and 70 sound familiar from our study? If you think back all the way to chapter one, we remember that it was the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes that came to Egypt initially to flee the famine in their country. And we heard that the number of them was 70 to begin with. Well, we also know from chapters one and two that the people grew miraculously, right? They were so fruitful, they multiplied and they filled the land. But here they arrive at this place where there are 12 springs, one for each tribe. And later we're gonna see in Exodus 24 that the leaders, the elders of Egypt were 70 in number. So these two numbers are kind of significant here. The point is though that there was just, there was plenty of water. There was abundant provisions here. So now we see scene two where they're gonna leave this beautiful oasis in the desert and they're gonna start grumbling again and see God's gracious, glorious provision of bread. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin and that's not not meaning that like Sin in terms of like rebelling against God, it's just the name of what it's called. It's between Elam and Sinai. So that word sin is related to Sinai there. On the 15th day of the second month, about 45 days, okay, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by them meat pots and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out here into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So here we have scene two, wilderness test number two. All right, more grumbling. Grumbling is the opposite of gratitude. Now their complaint is not, what shall we drink, but Moses, what are we gonna eat? Now in Matthew 6, Jesus addressed this kind of anxiety by saying, therefore do not be anxious by saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father Knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But they all complained because they were hungry. We have a modern term that we use, hangry, right? They were a little angry and a little hungry, right? So fresh in their rose-colored memories were, were those, what Pastor Sam called in his sermon about a month ago, the buffets of Egypt, okay? They remember all those meat pots. Their tummies were full. I wonder, do we ever have selective memories? Do we look back on the past? The good old days, right? Well, they seem to have forgotten their slavery, the beatings, the bitterness of their forced labor. They even accused Moses and Aaron of intentionally leading them into the wilderness to kill them. They wish that the Lord had just gone ahead and killed them back in Egypt when they had full bellies rather than in this desert wilderness where they were hungry, okay? They seem to have failed test number two, but now we see that the Lord is going on and he gives them yet another test this time to see whether they're going to obey his words. We read in verses 4 through 8 of chapter 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. You in the evening, meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Did you notice that it's not just the word grumbling that's repeated in this section four times, but four times we hear God heard their grumbling. He hears every one of our bit of grumbling too. And all of our grumbling is ultimately against the Lord. It's thanklessness for the things that he has done for us and given us. So if you find yourself in a season of grumbling, ask the Lord for help in cultivating a heart full of gratefulness uh, for him. Ask him to help you see where he is at work in your life, perhaps in spite of your circumstances that have caused you to grumble. So here we see God's gracious provision of bread, and with it, the knowledge and assurance that it was It was Yahweh who brought them out of Egypt. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning, you shall, be fill, you shall be filled with bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God promises to provide for them, that he will rain bread from heaven and they will be filled. He also gives them his glory. They're going to see his glory. And that's my prayer for you through the study of Exodus, is that you will see God's glory. In the plagues and at the Red Sea, one of the Lord's aims was that Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt would know that he was the Lord, that he is the Lord their God. But now, remember he said this in Exodus 14, 4. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so now here in the wilderness, the Lord, the great I am, was revealing himself afresh to Israel, making sure that his people know that he is the Lord, their God. They would see for themselves his glory. So what is glory? Glory is God's reputation. It's his honor. It's the totality of his character, his perfect attributes. And when God provides He gets the glory. So all along their Exodus journey, God did what he did for his glory. And so if we take away nothing else from our study of Exodus, let it be that the Lord our Redeemer does everything for the ultimate praise of his glory. He saved them for his glory, and he saves us for his glory. And all along our faith journey, we look for glimpses of his glory when he lovingly cares for us in times of grief and sadness, when we're in danger, when we call out for rescue, when we feel that our faith might fail, we call out to him to hold us fast. In each ordinary circumstance and extraordinary circumstances in our lives, look for God's sovereign hand that is at work and then give him the glory. In verses 13 through 18, we see that the Lord gives him bread, as much as they can eat. This morning, I was explaining to my grandson what I would be teaching about this morning, that God rained down bread out of the clouds from heaven because his people were hungry, and he said, what? Wow, that is crazy, amazing. And I said, yeah, it really is. It's amazing that he would rain down bread from heaven. Now, he gave them so much that they could gather as much as they could, right? And some gathered more, some gathered less. And an omer is about two liters or half a gallon. When they, when they gathered it, this, they discovered that they had just the right amount, not too much and not too little. And so Paul quoted this verse in 1 Corinthians. He said, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Apparently, they shared what they gathered, and they all had what they needed. It's this kind of fairness and sharing that was part of God's plan to provide for everyone. The quail, and the manna, in the wilderness were genuine divine miracles. I read commentaries this week that tried to they gave examples of scholars trying to bend over backwards and give rational explanations for these things happening, but there's really nothing that can explain these things. Moses called it the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The psalmist in Psalm 78 and Psalm 105 called it the bread of heaven and the bread of angels. And Paul described it as spiritual food in 1 Corinthians 10, meaning supernatural food, Phil Riken wrote, manna was the original wonder bread. (laughs) So now spiritual food, spiritual bread, is also meant to be shared. And that's what we hope that will be happening in our discussion groups or one-on-one with a friend. Share what you're learning in your Bible study. There might be weeks when you gather an abundance, right? Maybe you have extra time and you just are gathering insight after insight of sweet spiritual food from your study and other weeks you might find that you gather very little but as you come together with your sisters in Christ this is what we're doing we're sharing with one another out of the abundance that the lord has given us or expressing our need to one another for encouragement and food all right let's move on to verses 22 through 30 the gracious provision of the sabbath the seventh day points back to creation when god rested But this passage also points forward to the law, the Ten Commandments that we're gonna gonna study about in a few more chapters, chapter 19. We are to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Think of how revolutionary, revolutionary this was for a brand new nation of recently freed slaves. All they had known was unending hard work in Egypt. Imagine how this landed on them. Stop their work? Not gather food on the seventh day? I mean, learning to be content with daily bread was gonna be a challenge for this bunch of folks. But this was God's wonderful gift to them. Rest plus a double portion of bread to tide them over for the Sabbath. So this was part of the Sabbath miracle that the manna would not spoil. So how dishonoring of them not to trust the Lord by going out to try to find that bread on the Sabbath day. He had given them the Sabbath, and it was for their benefit. Keeping God's commands brings life, and that's what they had rejected, those that were rejecting his law. In Ezekiel 20, God said this. He said, I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but they rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths, they greatly... Profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end to them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. So God's glory is at stake here with the nation of Israel being gloriously provided for and also in their obedience. God saves them, and God forgives them for his glory. The main blessing of the Sabbath is rest for the people of God. Phil Riken said, even worship and mercy are forms of rest. To worship is to rest in God's grace, and to show mercy is to extend God's rest to those who are weary. Okay, we come to the closing verses of chapter 16, something of a bookend here, where the people are gonna remember their Redeemer's provision. We started out with the people in a predicament with bitter water that they couldn't drink, and God changed that water to sweet water that they could drink, and here, we have a description of the manna, that it was like wafers made with honey. It was sweet. This is like a tasty appetizer for what they were gonna experience when they got to the promised land. Do you remember the description of what that land was like? Flowing with milk and honey, that's right. So we also learn here that they were to keep a jar of this manna as a memorial. They would be, yes, they were going to be reminded every day when they went outside their tents to gather the manna, how the Lord was providing for them day after day after day through 40 years. But after the 40 years, you learned in your lesson this week that the manna stopped. How are they going to remember that? So the Lord tells them to to save that as a memorial. Do we pause to remember and reflect the things, the ways that the Lord has provided for us? How do we as a church body stop and remember? Well, we gather every week to worship. We thank God for his grace for us, for his mercy. And we also celebrate the Lord's Supper, remembering the bread of life who was broken for us, and his blood that was poured out for us as the Passover lamb. As we close, we're going to go through a few ways that we see Jesus in this passage. You know, we've seen Jesus in other passages of Exodus, haven't we? He's the greater Moses who came to deliver us and set us free from sin, slavery to sin. Jesus himself is our Passover lamb, our atoning sacrifice, whose blood covers us. And we sing and we rejoice in our salvation. Death to new life, paid for at a great price. The exodus is really a beautiful, beautiful picture of our salvation, what Jesus has done for us, how he has saved us, delivered us. But in this, week, this week's passage, we, we learn how the exodus actually points toward our Christian life. After trusting Jesus, our Passover lamb, and crossing over from death to life, we too are on a journey through a wilderness on our way to the promised land, and we go through many dangers and toils and snares along the way. Acts 14.22 says, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We are aliens. We are like strangers in the world. We face disappointments. We face discouragement. We grumble, don't we? And our faith falters. We have a lot to learn. We struggle sometimes to trust the Lord. So we repent and we ask forgiveness and help to believe his promises that he will provide for us, that he is conforming us to his image, making us holy. So in our journey through our wilderness, God is sanctifying us. He is teaching us to trust him, to love him, to follow him. He's helping us to depend on him alone and have confidence in his faithfulness day by day. There's a song that I love that says this. There's strength within the sorrow. There's beauty in our tears. You meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You are sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love, you're sovereign over us. So I just pray that that would be true of us. Jesus, the Lord, is our healer. We saw this. Jesus went around he proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's Matthew four twenty-three. He provided physical healing, and he still does that today. But he also has the cure for everything that ails us in our souls. He said he came for the sick, not for the healthy. He's the doctor for our souls. He is our healer. He's merciful. He's gracious. He is able to provide for us by a miracle of supernatural healing, just like He did with the, turning the bitter water to sweet by throwing a log in, or by leading us to a place where we have springs of living water, like the people of Israel were at Elam. And just like at those springs of living water at Elam, we have abundant everlasting riches of his grace to us in christ philippians 419 says my god will supply every need of yours according to his riches in christ jesus jesus is the living water we learn in john the john 414 says the water that i will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life So anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus has those springs of living water that will flow from within, an everlasting supply of all-sufficient and all-satisfying grace. And just like the people of Israel at Elam, Jesus, God's firstborn son, went through the waters of baptism, and then following that, he was led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of of God. He knew that exactly what we need is God himself, his word, spiritual food. Do you see the similarities to Exodus here? Jesus spent 40 days, the Israelites spent 40 years. Jesus was tempted in similar ways, but he never grumbled, he never complained, he never sinned in any way. He passed every wilderness test. Just like, I mean, the people of Israel failed every test, Jesus passed every test. In order to save us, he had to perfectly obey all the law so that he could give us his perfect righteousness. In John 6, Jesus had an exchange with the people following his feeding of the 5,000. And he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, in what other ways is Jesus like manna? Well, manna was supernatural. We just read that. It was a gift from the Lord, it was a gift from heaven. Just as Jesus is a gift from the Father, he came down from heaven. Manna is also all satisfying. It is sufficient for us. The people had complained that in Egypt they they ate by the meat pots and they had bread to the full, and then the Lord promised that they would be filled with bread. So over and over we saw the phrase, they ate as much as they could eat. God's bread from heaven was sufficient for all of their daily needs. They had no lack. The Lord was their shepherd, and they did not want. Just as Jesus, the bread of life, is sufficient for us, Jesus promised that anyone who comes to him will not be hungry. We eat, and we get eternal life. Number three, the manna was sanctifying. The Lord was teaching them to depend on him, to trust in him, Later in Deuteronomy, Moses gave another purpose. He said, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That was the very passage that Jesus quoted to Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. So that is our deepest need, to be sanctified, to be humbled to have that bread that sanctifies us. Jesus said that is what his word does. His word sanctifies us. Jesus is the yes and amen to all of God's promises, including the Sabbath, the hope of everlasting rest. God fulfilled that promise by sending Jesus who said, come to me, all you who weary are weary and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's right. So when we put our trust in Jesus, we enter God's rest. We quit trying to work for our salvation. We cease striving to be good enough for God, but we rest on the basis of what Jesus has done for us when he perfectly kept God's laws and he took our sins at the cross and he rose from the dead for us. So trust Jesus' provision for us. He is the living water he is the bread of life he is our Sabbath rest let's pray thank you Jesus thank you bread of heaven would you feed us until we want no more I pray that Lord that you would just satisfy us us in the morning with your steadfast love that you would just rain down fresh mercies each morning just like you rained manna in the wilderness and you satisfied your people for 40 years Lord, I pray that you would just provide us with fresh living water and the bread of life and Sabbath rest. Would you do it for your glory, that we would see more of you? We want to see you. We want to know you. And Lord, we pray that it would be for our joy as well. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.